This is the Chapel Real Estate Show, episode number 35. Welcome to the Chapel Real Estate Show, your source for the latest real estate information so you can buy, sell, and invest with the best in Texas. Whether you're a first-time buyer, a current homeowner, or a seasoned investor, you've come to the right place. We're here to simplify all things real estate so you can achieve your goals of property ownership with your hosts, Daniel and Roger Chapel. What's up, listeners, and thank you guys for tuning into the Chapel Real Estate Show, your source for the latest real estate information so that you can learn how to buy, sell, and invest with the best. I'm your host, Daniel Chapel, and I'm here with uh, my co-host, Roger Chapel. How are you doing today, Dad? Doing fantastic. Good to see you again, Daniel. Yeah, so uh, as most of you have probably noticed, I've been on a little bit of a hiatus and uh, we skipped a couple of weeks of episodes. Um, so we're going to do another episode here in another week or two um, just to kind of talk about how it's important for you to take time for a little bit of self-care. But today we have got a really great treat for you. So um, today we're gonna be talking about the state of the economy and how that state of the economy affects the real estate market. So you're definitely gonna wanna stay tuned in for this one. We've got a lot of really great information for you guys. But dad, why don't you kick things off for our listeners by talking about today's Chapel Chunk. Well, today's Chapel Chunk is you really do need to pay attention to both the economy and how it affects the real estate market and how the real estate market not only affects the economy, but reacts to certain things that happen in the economy. Real estate is both a cause and an effect of what happens in our economy. And it is actually a pretty good chunk of what, what our economy is all about. So it's not the only piece, but it is a very important piece. And, but keep it in mind, it is a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, so today we're going to be talking about, like we said, the state of the economy. And in Central Texas, we have one of the strongest markets out there. So, um, and there's a couple of reasons why. So, Dad, why don't you dive into that first reason that we have for our listeners today? Well, first of all, we've had exponential growth in the tech industry uh, across the state of Texas, primarily here in the Austin area. But Austin is not exclusive to the tech industry. So uh, because of that, we have seen a gigantic influx of high-end jobs, as well as people moving here uh, from out of state. Secondly, uh, well, that is the second part of it, is the higher-paying jobs plus the, the high-tech industry in and of itself. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen, I don't know, it's been over what we've been in this area for about six or seven years. And there's always every year a new company or, or more announcing the you know opening of a new plant or a new campus or anything like that. So um, the tech industry here, yeah, has been absolutely booming. And that brings a lot of really high paying jobs to the area, which in turn causes, you know, like you said, there's a cause and effect on how that higher income affects the, the market around it. So let's talk about one of the big concerns. We've done a couple of episodes on this uh, before in the past, but let's talk about this so-called housing bubble, right? There's a lot of people, especially, um, you know, these doom and gloom guys all over YouTube talking about how there is a bubble in the real estate market. So let's, let's kind of debunk that a little bit for our listeners today. Yeah. You know, again, that's one of those things that just gets my goat. Uh, it seems like all the negativity sells. So that's why people keep saying all this nonsense. Uh, I don't believe in that at all. I don't think that's a good sales strategy. And not, not only is it not a good sales strategy, it's not good advice for people. So there is no such thing as a real estate bubble right now in the state of Texas. It's just not here. Uh, and there's a number of reasons why. Number one, we just talked about it, job growth. Our job growth here is just unbelievable. 
the fact that we have such high paying jobs here. Again, unbelievable. Because it's there, it's sustainable. It's going to stay that way for quite a while. And unlike the, the true bubble that occurred in 2007 and 2008, right now our buyers are much more qualified than they were back in 2007 and 2008. So in 07 and 08, and we have talked about this ad nauseum, but in 07 and 08, if you had a heartbeat, you were getting a loan or you could get a loan to purchase a home. Whether or not you could actually afford it made no difference. But now with the regulations being so strict on lenders uh, to loan that money out, uh, folks are just much more qualified. Not only are they more qualified, they're bringing more money to the closing table. What does that mean? They're putting more money down on their homes. They're paying the gap between appraisals and uh, the loan amounts and things of that nature, and they're paying cash for it. But what we're finding now is that a lot of these higher-end homes, even though they're, the, the buyer seems to be paying more for that home, what they're doing is uh, bringing up the floor on uh, the, our, our appraisals. So what we're seeing is that what used to be a $300,000 home is now somewhere around a three seventy five dollars home. So with that, uh, those appraisals are actually catching up to it, and it's caused our market to make a dramatic jump. So uh, that's just the way it is, and that, that's not going to change. And by doing that, people are bringing extra money to the table, which means they have more equity in their homes, which makes the market much more stable. Yeah, and, and something that we've mentioned before, too, is there's a lot of money that's been on the sidelines. A lot of people never, not never, but there, you know, there's been a, a lot of people who have seen more value in other markets like stocks or maybe gold or other types of investments that now, you know, the value of real estate has become abundantly clear. So, you know, I think that, too, plays a big factor in this is there was money all over the place in other types of investments that's now making its way into real estate. Right. And We'll get to something else in a little bit that is extremely important based on what you just said. Uh, so, but I, I want to kind of keep that on the back burner for just a moment. But uh, there's a, an amazing statistic that I, I saw that truly blew me away. And that explains why we don't have a bubble yet in another way. So, uh, but the, the final and fifth thing about why we don't have a bubble is the housing shortage. Right now, we have a shortage of inventory. It's just that simple. We've got so many people moving here, we just don't have enough inventory to put them in. And that is not just in the state of Texas, by the way. That is across the country. So there are markets literally all over this country that are suffering the exact same thing that we are here in the Austin area. So uh, there's a shortage of housing. It's, it's that simple. There's a shortage of housing. And until that, that housing shortage increases, uh, I'm sorry, decreases, and we have more homes on the market, then what we're looking at right now is sustainable. And it will be that way for the foreseeable future. Uh, it's my prediction that we're probably looking at maybe another three years of what we're looking at right now. Uh, it could be longer. Uh, it could be a little less, but I think three years is probably a pretty good estimate uh, on where we're at. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty accurate. Um, so how you know you mentioned the housing shortage so to kind of segue into our next topic how is that housing shortage affecting the rental market because you know the, a lot of these doom and gloomers are talking about how you know people are not paying on their rents and you know when the moratorium was still uh you know ongoing that a lot of people were not paying their rent and then moving on to other apartments so there were a lot of vacancies across the board so um kind of touch on that a little bit and we'll move into you know the next the next section about rentals yeah, so uh, well, we can jump right into that right now, to be honest with you. The, the rental market right now is extremely robust. And the reason being is, again, there's a shortage of inventory. So what we're seeing is that even though the moratorium ended, 
uh, a lot of folks, at least in, in this area, in this region, did not get behind on their rent. They were still able to make their rent payments. And that the reason being is that rents were so low in comparison to what the market calls for today that they were still able to keep up with that, even without being employed. So uh, that that's extremely important to keep in mind. So that has caused our rental market to be extremely robust. One thing I did notice uh, recently, uh, and I forget where I read it. I think it was on one of the news uh, uh, networks recently, or one of the local networks, where they talked about apartment rent had increased 40% in Austin County. I mean, Austin, Texas. That's Travis County. 40% increase in apartment rent. So that is also going to translate or transfer over into the single-family home market. So I, I, can, know as, I can tell you myself, uh, as uh, a landlord and owning multiple rental properties in various markets, that uh, the rent increases are real. And I've had to raise the rent on at least two properties, and I'm getting ready to raise the rent on a third property just because the uh, appraisal, the, the tax appraisal has gone up. And along with that tax appraisal, my insurance rates went up. So I have to pass that cost along to the next tenant, which is also going to be, I mean, if that's just me doing that, that's one thing. It's not just me having to do that. That is landlords across the spectrum. So that's including the, the Houston, Texas market, it's San Antonio market, and it's here in Georgetown and in Austin and in Cedar Park and in Round Rock. All of them are going to see rate increases. So, uh, and they're going to have to because uh, it just doesn't make sense for an investor uh, not to increase the rents considering what's happened to uh, the appraisal market and, and how uh, market values have increased the way that they have. So that, that has to happen. Yeah. So, um, and something else that we've touched on a couple of times in the past is the number of applicants that are applying to each of these properties. So, um, you know, there are so many people out there and in various situations, it's not just people who, you know, necessarily want to be renters, but because there's a housing shortage, there are a lot of people that are being forced to rent while they take the time to look for their new home. So let's talk about that. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, uh, just like in the sales market, where we're getting multiple offers, uh, on, and this has happened for quite a while, but even in the rental market, now there are multiple applicants that are applying, and these are very, very qualified applicants. And what I mean by that is these folks have high credit scores, they have very stable jobs, they have the money in the bank to be able to support the rent uh, and all the security deposits and, and things of that uh, nature. So because of that, uh, we're now seeing rents rise uh, in that regard, too. So now you have multiple applicants uh, that are, are submitting applications on the same property, and the listing agents now are reaching back out to these, these uh, prospective tenants to find out how much more they're willing to pay in rent. So, for example, if the, the rent was listed at $2,000, it's not uncommon to see that $2,000 now jump up to twenty-five dollars or $2,600 to a very qualified applicant. And they're usually leasing for a year minimum. So there are very few short-term rentals, which is also uh, kind of a problem. Uh, you know, a lot of folks have been renting Airbnb, which is fine. Uh, but th that's not always a really good answer for a uh, short-term rental because of the, the price of it. If you can get a short-term rental, you're probably going to pay a little bit higher rent. But it's a little more stable because you're in the same place uh, for an extended period of time. Three to six months is what I consider to be a short-term rental. If you're going under three months, then probably the Airbnb might be the way to go. Yeah, I think that's a good good assessment. But I'll bet you even there, you know, the the amount of 
short-term rentals that are available is probably pretty slim, I would imagine, too. Right. So vacancy rates. Uh, so remember, with Airbnb, predominantly people usually rent those things like on weekends. Sometimes they'll do extended stays if they're going to be there. Uh, let's assume like in, in San Antonio, we have a lot of military uh, that come in San Antonio for a short uh, tour of duty. Uh, that may, <clears throat> excuse me, they may be there for some training or something like that. And, you know, they're only going to be there for maybe two months. So those folks typically will, will do the Airbnb. But most of the time, the Airbnb is being leased out on the weekends, uh, sometimes maybe a week at a time. So with that being said, those things are not available uh, for uh, long-term rental most often. But the vacancy rates on even single-family homes in the Austin area are only 5%. 5%. That tells you right there that we have a very strong market, uh, even for rentals. So, you know, we thought it's a, we believe it's a seller's market. Well, it's the same. It's a landlord's market as well right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so another big factor that is affecting, you know, the real estate market, the rental market and everything in between is the population in Texas. Right. So it, it's been exploding. Right. And there's a number of reasons why. So what, what are some of those reasons? Right. So uh, what I want our listeners to understand today is we are touching on a whole bunch of different little topics. But each one of these little topics is kind of like a building block to help us get to the peak of that mountain so that uh, the listeners will better understand why uh, we believe that we don't have the bubble that everybody keeps talking about and why we think it's sustainable for a long period of time. So uh, with the population over the past 10 years, and of course, uh, this came out through the Census Bureau. This is not something we're making up. Uh, the Census Bureau uh, concluded that Texas increased in population, and I don't have the number, but it increased enough to where uh, the state of Texas gained two additional congressional seats. So they're in a process right now of redrawing some of the districts to be able to accommodate those two extra uh, seats. Uh, but where the population uh, increased the majority is in the Austin area and in San Antonio, believe it or not. But I think some of the redistricting is also taking place in Harris County, uh, or in Montgomery County and Fort Bend, because that's all surrounding Houston. So uh, that area increased in population as well. So I think there's one additional uh, congressional seat that's going to be available somewhere in Central Texas, and then there'll be another one in the Houston area. At least that's what I'm understanding uh, for now. That could change, but that seems like that's what's in the works right now. So uh, part of that, the reason we had such a huge increase believe it or not, it's because of the pandemic lockdowns. So a lot of states stayed locked down for an extended period of time. And by doing that, the economy truly suffered. So a lot of the folks, especially small businesses that went out of business, relocated and left those states and came to Texas and opened back up again because Texas's economy was still open, even though everybody's still having to deal with the, the pandemic and I am not going to get into a political conversation with this because this is not political. These are facts. This is data that's being supported that actually helps us better understand our real estate market and the Texas economy and why it is where it is. So with that and that influx of other new businesses that have come here, especially small businesses, then uh, again, we have more sustainability here uh, uh, as far as the, the lockdowns and whatnot. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. 
So um, something else that we've, uh, you and I have talked about, we haven't discussed it on the podcast yet, but is the amount that people actually saved during the pandemic. So it's no secret that the, the government started printing a lot of money and started offering stimulus and you know these various things, um, the, the unemployment and all that stuff. So um, how did that affect people's savings and how is that trickling into these other markets? Yeah, that's a great segue into what I was going to tell you earlier that we wanted to touch on base here in just a few minutes, and that is how much money people were, were able to save. Prior to the pandemic, the United States, uh, and those of us that live here in the United States, saved on an average of $3 trillion, okay? So that's average savings across the United States. Since the pandemic, that has tripled to $9 trillion, with that kind of savings, now you can better understand why people are putting more money down on homes, how they're able to cover up the gap on the, the, uh, the appraisals and things like that. So that's where that money is coming from. Uh, during the pandemic, people couldn't travel. We couldn't go anywhere. We weren't spending money on gas. We, I mean, we just weren't spending money. So uh, without spending that money, what are we doing with it? We're saving it three times the amount of what we have averaged prior to the pandemic. Wow. And you know, I, I remember hearing recently, actually, I was listening to another podcast, The Brian Buffini Show, and he mentioned that I think it's 46% of Americans typically don't have access to $500 in their savings account. But that still leaves 54% of Americans who, you know, are not the average, right? They, they save a little bit more. So, I mean, even taking those numbers into perspective, if you have $500 in your savings account and you're tripling that to $1,500, you can only imagine how that affects the other 54% of the population that have much more savings. And those are the people, like you mentioned, in Austin, we have a lot higher income. Those are the people that are entering the market in Central Texas is what I'm kind of realizing. Yes, that is a fact. All right, so kind of shifting gears a little bit, let's kind of talk about the oil and gas industry. How is that um, playing a role in the effect on the market? Yeah, that, that's a very interesting thing because I hadn't actually never put this together until I heard this from Mark Sprague. And for people that don't know who Mark Sprague is, he is the expert on economics and real estate and how they all uh, intertwine together. So uh, I mean, he truly is the expert. So that's where I'm getting the vast majority of my information from today. So uh, believe it or not, <clears throat> oil and gas prices are not controlled by the United States government. So most people believe that that's, that that's how that works. That is not true. It is OPEC. And OPEC is actually a conglomerate of, or it's a, uh, oh, what is the term? I guess a committee or a group of countries that got together and they are the ones who actually established the price of oil. Not only that, and it's based on uh, oil exports, it's based on oil usage and imports. So with all of that, OPEC actually sets the standard on what the oil prices are going to be. Oil prices have a direct impact on gasoline and natural gas prices. So with that, that's why we've seen, remember, right now there is not a huge demand on oil prices. There, it's, I mean, on uh, oil and gas, there's still not a tremendous demand. There aren't as many flights flying. There aren't as many people taking long trips because the pandemic is still here. And of course, with the media making things out of all these different variants to COVID, people are still afraid to travel and, and do different things. So they're not even driving to work. So with all of that, we've seen a dramatic reduction in the usage of oil and gas. So that's why the prices have increased on that. And remember, the Texas economy used to be based primarily on oil and gas. 
That is no longer the case, especially since the Biden administration has come in and shut down a lot of the, the U.S. oil production. Uh, that has had a dramatic negative impact on the Texas economy. But of course, the Texas economy has boomed back in other areas. So no longer is Texas so reliant on oil that our entire economy depends on it like it was in the 80s. Uh, it's now much more diverse. Uh, you know, it's just like any other wealthy person. Their uh, wealth is not tied up into one particular asset. They spread their wealth around through various types of assets. Well, that's what Texas has done as far as industry is concerned. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you're right. That's not something that you would really think about until you have some like an expert like Mark Sprague really shed the light on that so that i mean that's really great information so take that one to to note so another thing that we know as realtors severely impacts buying power in the market is interest rates and a lot of people don't have a very thorough understanding of how that affects buying power and you know the the prices in the market so let's kind of spend a little bit of time talking about what's happening with interest rates and what the outlook on those interest rates are yeah interest rates really do dramatically impact a person's buying power so the higher the interest rate, that means the more money that a buyer is going to pay on their, the, the, the higher their payment is, because they're going to be paying principal and interest in that mortgage uh, note that they're paying every month. But for the first several years, the vast majority of that, uh, that payment is going towards their interest, not their principal. So the higher the principal, the more interested one is going to pay. When interest rates are lower than the, the buyer pays less in interest, which increases their actual buying power. So what we're seeing right now is that interest rates are, at least to, for now, it is foreseen that the interest rates should stay somewhere around where they are through 2022. Towards the end of 2022 and the beginning of 2023, we may start seeing an increase in the interest rate. What I mean by that is as long as the interest rate stays below 3%, which is where we're at right now, then I still anticipate a very strong buyer's market. And even once interest rates begin to climb just a little bit, I don't anticipate their, uh, the, the interest rates jumping so dramatically that it will uh, slow buying down too much. It, it will affect some buyers, but I don't think it's going to uh, negatively impact a, a dramatic amount of buyers. Yeah, and I, I think uh, it's all a matter of perspective, right? Because even if rates do start to climb up a little bit, remind our listeners how much you paid in interest on your first home, however many years, 30 years ago. I believe it was around 9%. Yeah, so I mean, you know, relatively speaking, interest rates are incredibly low and they've climbed much higher than 9% in history before too. So, I mean, you know, I, I think it's really all a matter of perspective and I think, uh, you know, the information is everywhere now. So perspective is a lot more common, I would think, in, in that area. Agreeable. All right. So something we have talked about quite a bit on a few of our previous episodes is the forbearance and how, you know, the outlook was with forbearance. There were so many Americans that were not making mortgage payments or were making partial mortgage payments and were getting behind. And there was, you know, a lot of uh, speculation that there were going to be a lot of foreclosures once that forbearance program came to an end. So let's talk about that because I think that is, uh, you know, it's it's kind of now that we have more data and more people that are actually paying on their mortgages, we have a better understanding of what's actually happening. So let's talk to our listeners about that. Yeah, that's a great point. So uh, I think even I predicted that we would see an increase in foreclosures once the forbearance ended. 
And it turns out that that's just not the case. And it's not the case based on something I never even thought about. So we still have such a very strong seller's market and such a low inventory that for a lot of these homeowners that were in forbearance and were facing foreclosure, they actually can now list their homes on the market and get it sold so quickly that they can avoid foreclosure altogether. So uh, I think that's mainly what's been happening. And, uh, you know, we have seen an increase in a few home sales uh, that do have the forbearance attached to them. Uh, but I'm not aware of any of those properties being distressed properties or anything like that. But what I have seen is wholesalers being able to contact some of these folks and purchase homes off market and sell them off to investors. So uh, we are seeing a little bit of that. But uh, and I'm going to touch a little bit on investors here in just a few minutes, uh, because I think investors really need to pay attention to what we're going to say on that. Uh, in just a few minutes as well. Yeah, and uh, something I kind of want to highlight too is remember, even though there were you know so many Americans on forbearance who weren't making mortgage payments, that doesn't mean that they're not able to take advantage of the increases in the market, right? So even though they weren't making payments on their mortgages, or maybe they were only making partial payments, they're still building equity just as the natural progression of the market and the prices of, of real estate increase. So I think that was a real saving grace for a lot of these folks as well. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. 100%. So, um, you know, in, in the central Texas market, we've seen crazy things happening with new construction. I mean, I remember we did an episode about new construction and how you could increase your chances of getting into a home using new construction. Um, what were some of the strategies you had to use to be able to get into the homes, making offers and things of that nature. So um, how is the new construction market um, responding to what we're seeing now? In a dramatic way. So one of the stats that Mark Sprague uh, pays attention to that I had never thought about before as well is the number of permits that are issued for new construction. Now, I have actually heard of this before, but it's not something that I rely on or something that I pay attention to on a regular basis until now. So what we did learn is that across the United States, Houston, Dallas, and Austin, in that order, were three of the top five cities in the United States uh, when it comes to permits for new construction. So Houston leads the country. Dallas runs number two, and Austin, I think, was number four, but I'm not positive, uh, in the United States as far as new construction permits. What that tells us is Texas is growing, and we're, the, the, the economy and the market and, and builders and everybody is doing everything it can to build homes quick enough to put people in them. It's just going to take some time. You're talking three to five years uh, for the, the new construction that's going on now to be able to... Uh, actually sustain, uh, catch up to where we're at right now. So in other words, that's still three to five years out. So who knows how long it's going to be before we actually see the market stabilize. Yeah, could be some time. Um, so another another part of the real estate market that is, is, you know, there's definitely some changes happening in is the commercial market, right? Um, so let's talk to our listeners about that. Yeah, so the commercial market, and I think I talked about this in the beginning too, or, or at least some time ago in one of our other podcasts uh, about commercial real estate, and in particular, office space. So as soon as the pandemic hit, numerous offices vacated. So the buildings themselves, you know, people were now working from home. They weren't allowed to go into the office, and it didn't matter whether it was a business office or a courthouse or, you know, who knows, a, a maintenance office. A lot of folks were literally sent home and learned to have to work from home. So once that happened, a lot of the, the office buildings became vacant. 
So I started hearing uh, some rumors that some of these office buildings may start converting over into condo space. And I've seen some of that take place, but believe it or not, uh, not as much as I thought. And then once, uh, at least in Texas, once the lockdowns were lifted and folks felt a little more comfortable about getting back to work, uh, believe it or not, they started going back to offices. And that really did surprise me because, you know, for a lot of folks, working from home was so convenient. Uh, they were able to take care of their families in a much better way. Uh, you know, a, a lot of companies saw productivity actually increase, but then they started paying attention to the hours of that increase. And it seemed like during the middle of the day, there was some time in the morning, there was some time in the afternoon. But then again, after the kids went to bed, there's more time in the evening where folks were able to work and their productivity levels actually increased by working from home. So one would assume that that would automatically transfer over into a, uh, a lower occupancy rate in office space. Well, to a certain degree, that is true. So around the Austin area, uh, it's approximately, vacancy rates are approximately 20% for office space. So what that tells me is that 80% are now occupied, whether it's been through a transfer uh, or, or a transition from office space into condominiums or people just returning back to work. And I know for a lot of people, uh, you know, we are human beings and being human beings, we are very social and it becomes quite difficult to be able to work from home and constantly do Zoom meetings without having human touch or human physical interaction with folks because we, we're human beings. We thrive on that. Our, our social well-being depends on that. And sometimes our mental health depends on that. So we're seeing a lot of folks actually return to the office uh, and, and they may be returning only three days a week and still working from home two days a week, but that has increased the, uh, or decreased the occupancy rates, which means, you know, uh, uh, commercial office space is now uh, actually renting out uh, much better than it was. In addition to that, the, uh, the rent on office space has also increased between 20 and 40%, depending on the location of that rental space. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, you know, to your, to that, I mean, that's not something that I would have really ever thought about, um, you know, looking at the actual vacancy rates across the board for commercial and how, um, you know, productivity, because I'd heard the same things, you know, I'm, I follow Entrepreneur Magazine and, you know, all these other things. And they talk about the, the increase in productivity that came from work from home. But it's true. I mean, you and I have talked about this before, too, the community aspect and being around other people and being, um, you know, able to feed off of others energy is a lot more uh, collaborative. You know, being in a collaborative environment is is extremely beneficial. So, um, yeah, that's a good point. You know, dividing a little bit more time, a couple of days at home and a few days in the office. I'll bet you that even uh, increased productivity even further. Well, I can tell you one thing that I learned for certain by doing uh, a couple of podcasts on my own. I'd most definitely prefer having you with me on the other side of the mic where we can communicate back and forth and we can have some back and forth on conversation. Uh, it's just, to me, it makes it so much better uh, than just delivering it on my own. Although I do think that there are times where uh, th that is a necessity, uh, same as working from an office. Uh, I think it is necess necessary to go into an office, but I also think it's, it's necessary too uh, to maybe work by oneself or, or work from home uh, a little more frequently than uh, was happening in the past. And I think all that does is increase productivity. It increases the, the motivating uh, factors uh, for work. I mean, when people are happy, they work hard. When they're not happy, they don't. So part of that factor, I think, is, is going into the office, but also having the ability to work from home. So we're seeing businesses make those adjustments to be able to make that happen. 
Yeah, quality of life and that work life. Uh, I like to say work life balancing, not work life balance, because that that implies that you're going to achieve a perfect work life balance, and we know that that's not possible. It's all about a balancing act and and you know actively trying to find ways to be you know a little bit more present in different areas of your life. So uh, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. So the hospitality industry. So we you know we've just talked about how travel is is you know still somewhat of an issue. There's not tons of people traveling flights are down the amount of people that are booking in hotels is is reduced i think there's a lot more people that are um, open to maybe the airbnb type uh living environment uh so you know how is the hospitality industry being affected and and what is that playing into the real estate market and the market in general yeah so uh unfortunately the hospitality industry i think was probably the toughest hit uh throughout this pandemic because it's still going on today so uh, there are many, many hotels now still hiring, uh, which is good to see, uh, which means there is some increase in travel. But remember, with uh, large groups gathering, uh, con- conventions canceled, uh, not just conventions, but concerts, uh, not just concerts, but any kind of a gathering where many people get together had canceled. And those are the things that hotel and uh, uh, car rentals and flights, uh, you know, airlines, all of those uh, folks depend on a booming hospitality industry uh, restaurants bars all of that kind of stuff and that has been dramatically negatively impacted due to this pandemic and it's going to take a while for that to recoup so with that said you know folks that are that are still in the hospitality industry uh, are still having a tough time trying to trying to make it uh, same with owners of hotels and, and bars and restaurants uh, they're having a real tough time trying to make this work and, you know, couple that with uh, low employment rates because, uh, say, low employment rates, that's, that's a misnomer big time. It's not an unemployment rate necessarily. It's that people are not going back to work. So one thing that we notice, too, is that uh, entry-level positions are where uh, the job market is suffering the most. The higher-paying jobs and management positions are actually pretty much filled across the spectrum, but it's the, the entry-level positions that are suffering the most. And I think now, Daniel, you can understand that uh, firsthand because of where you're at now. Uh, It's amazing to me uh, that people are not willing to go to work for, you know, benefits and and all of that uh, great pay uh, just as an entry level position. They're not doing it. So with that, I mean, restaurants are suffering. They can't get as many people seated. Uh, They don't have the staff to be able to operate on a regular basis. Wait times are a lot longer uh, going to these nice restaurants. Uh, so all of that is, is a, a definite impact uh, on the on the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mentioned earlier, Daniel, that I wanted to talk a little bit to investors in particular. So uh, right now, it's still a good time to buy because prices right now are not going to change. They're not going to drop. So looking for that good deal uh, is it, it, we just have to change our mindset about what a good deal is. So uh, you, you have to understand as an investor that once you make that purchase, the rents are going to go up. So and in most cases, uh, it's, it's still a little bit early to purchase a property where the rents are already high. So just about any property that an investor purchases now, uh, they assume the, the current tenant. But then once that tenant's lease is up, then that tenant will be required to pay a higher rent. And if they can't pay that higher rent, they need to go so that at the, uh, the opportunity presents itself then to go ahead and uh, freshen up that unit or units 
uh, and get a, a new tenant in there that's willing to pay the higher, higher rate because that is going to happen. So, uh, you know, initially that investment may seem like it's not going to cash flow very well, but after, you know, six months or a year, depending on how long those tenants are already there, that property is indeed going to uh, cash flow. It's also going to continue to appreciate. Now, are we going to see the same appreciation rates that we saw earlier this year? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, nobody could have predicted what happened this, this year. Uh, I just don't see that happening again next year. But who knows? Uh, we could all be shocked again uh, to see it dramatically increase again. Uh, but I, I really don't think that's the case. I think it's stabilized now, at least in this area. Uh, so I, I still think now is the time to buy. Uh, and uh, don't be afraid of it because I don't, wanna, I don't want my money sitting in a bank paying me you know, 2% interest. Instead, I would much rather take that money, invest it into a property that I know is going to cash flow, number one, and number two, be an appreciating asset. That real estate is the absolute best investment one can make, especially when we're in a recession like we are right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is the best hedge against inflation. We'll say it every time. I mean, it is it is unbelievable. And I'm a byproduct of that. We you know, did an episode not too long ago about how real estate saved my finances. And it's it's absolutely true. You know, taking advantage of cash flow and being able to, you know, get the appreciation and, uh, you know, being able to, I mean, that doesn't even include the tax benefits that come along with owning real estate. So, I mean, there's just so many, it's multifaceted, so many layers to it. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, um, well, dad, is there anything else that we wanted to touch on for our listeners today? Referrals, referrals, referrals. It's been so long since I said that it's been like building up inside me. So I have to just let it explode out today referrals 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 and you know what that means because you've been watching our podcast absolutely well you know again we like to thank you for for taking the time to listen to our show you know we absolutely love presenting this content to you guys uh and i want to thank you guys as well for being patient with us over this last couple of weeks um like i said we're going to do an episode here in another week or two about taking the time to self-care you know my fam my family and i have been going through um you know a little bit of a rough time this last month a lot of changes and a lot of transitioning happening and it just you know we needed to take a little bit of a break from the podcast and um you know i i appreciate you guys being patient with us and we're excited to bring some more really great content to you guys remember like it share it leave any comments leave your reviews we love to hear from you and find out what we can talk about that you're interested in hearing about so reach out to us and let us know how we can help you and in the meantime, this is the Chapel Realty Group signing off, and we'll see you all next week. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week on the Chapel Real Estate Show. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a review. Find us on social media at Chapel Realty Group and online at chapelrealtygroup.com. Until next time.